Yesterday, what they heard about was my passion. And I separate those two, I think, intelligently, hopefully, but in a, in a good way, because truly the Army chaplaincy is my calling. I'm considered a missionary uh, to the military by my denomination, which is the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Um, so I love what I do in the military. I really love it. And I was called to do that, and I do not believe that calling has ended. As long as God's going to allow me, I want to continue serving as an Army chaplain. Matter of fact, this upcoming week will kind of determine how long I get to do that. So pray with me on this. I know it sounds a little selfish the way I'm going to mention this, but I'm up for promotion to lieutenant colonel. So why that actually plays into how long I get to do this is because if I make lieutenant colonel, I could serve as long as almost 15 more years doing this. If I do not make it, I've got about five years left as a major. So that's, it's a really big decision next week for how long I get to continue my calling. Granted, if that should go away, I talked about my passion last night, which would probably become then my, my calling, because I love what I do with the wounded veterans in the outdoors. It's like, you know, youth ministry for adult men. It's just awesome. So uh, I love it. And not to mention, I get to go hunting. So it's a lot of fun. All right. Every time I watch that, I think I need to make a new video. <laughs> but um, it's still very true today. I love what I do with these, these soldiers, and, and I hope that shows in that video, because when I watch it, I sit here and think, man, I miss that. Isn't that, it's kind of awkward, because you tell somebody, man, I miss my time in Iraq, and especially if I tell that to my wife, she's like, you're crazy, you know, but um, in a way, I do. Uh, it's because I don't know that I've ever had such a, a powerful ministry as when you take a guy and put him into combat, and they're faced with the reality of life and death, and they have no other choice but to say, chaplain, help me prepare for this, you know? Uh, man, it was, it was amazing. I, I seen that chapel service that I was a part of grow to, I think we had maybe 10 people on the first Sunday I did service, and I thought, boy, Lord, you got a lot of work to do in me or something, because apparently I'm not very popular. Uh, but then I went from that to, I think we had around 267 in attendance regularly, not far after that. Um, but you know, combat does that to guys, I guess, too. Makes them seek out God. And I love being that man that is is the one that gets to introduce him to him uh, when that happens. So a lot of people counseled. We had a lot of people attending service, um, and that was what you saw there. I did something not every chaplain maybe does, but something that I love doing, which is I, I did ride with my guys out in, in combat. I kind of felt about it this way. I felt like if I'm going to try to impact these men and women for Christ in my unit, and they're going out and they're in harm's way getting shot at every day or whatever. If I'm going to impact them truly, I need to be where they're at so that when I come to them and say, hey, I want to talk to you about what you're experiencing, what you're going through, they can't look at me and say, you know, you don't understand, chaplain. No, instead I want them to be able to say, you remember how we were on that tour last week? We went out on this road and got hit. It was like that. I had guys that would go, and I, I won't tell you all the details, but I had guys that would go out and they have to, you know, recover remains and things like that that does something to a man that does something to anybody to be part of what combat does to him and I made sure I was there every time some of the most impacting moments of my life have been with those men in combat I had some that lost their lives at a remote location and I went to the boss and my boss knew I'd always come straight to him and tell him like it was I said sir we just lost four guys out there I gotta go tonight I gotta get out there there it was a remote location you had 12 men in this one small little duty station, all living together, pr protecting one little prison. And when you lose four of the 12 that have been living together for eight months, they were tight. 
I knew they needed me. And so I went to him. I said, sir, I got to get out there. He goes, that place is a hotbed. Nobody's getting in. I said, I know the choppers. I know the pilots. I said, sir, they're, they're friends of mine. I've been ministering to them. I said, they'll fly me in there. He goes, I am not going to risk that. I can't risk you. You're one of one. I only got one chaplain. I said, sir, at all, with all due respect, that's where I got to be. If you want me doing my job, that's where I got to be. Argued with him enough. Went and f- took a flight. Flew in, uh, actually under fire, but we flew in. I jumped out of the chopper from a little bit of a higher height than I needed to because they couldn't land. And uh, I landed with the guys and and got there. And the first thing they looked at me and they said, wow, sir, I can't believe somebody came this late at night. Um, It was like 3 in the morning. And they're like, we we will go prepare a place for you to sleep. We'll make it really nice. Get the AC started. And I said, no, no, no. Take me to the guys that are out on the wire that are watching guard right now. I said, I got to talk to them. I didn't sleep for the next two days because I just made sure I was with them everywhere they were. And those guys have never forgotten. I'm still friends with them today. Still calling me up regularly, talking about, about their problems, their life, their needs. So I, I tell you, this ministry to me is, is one I'm very passionate about. What I'm going to try to do today, I guess, is share some of that passion, that, that love that I have for these men, my, my ministry, my calling with you so you kind of see what we have in our military. Because I know many of you may have questions. Are we really getting Jesus out to these men and women in the military? And I'm here to profoundly say, yes, absolutely we are. So know that our military has people like myself in there proclaiming Jesus Christ to them and helping them out. And I I hope you'll feel more comfortable about your military because of that. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to definitely, I want to share a message with you as well as stories. I could just tell you stories. And I'm sure you would enjoy the stories, but... Let me also share a message with you, all right? So first today, I'm, I'm kind of talking to you about something you're familiar about. I, I'm sure most of you know the story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? I get a few head nods out there, okay. So yeah, you're, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. But here's what I want to do. I want to take and put a little twist on it today for you, okay? So here's how I'm going to do this. You see, in the military, we have kind of training prior to deployment, right? We prepare for deployment. So I'm going to look at this story of Daniel in his fight and how he prepared. And then I want to talk to you about the other part of our military, the actual current mission, what we're in, what we're in the fight of doing. We got a mission to, to do. Well, in the middle of Daniel's lion den, what was that like? We're going to talk about that, look at it from that st- standpoint. Then after you finish your mission, you got this kind of debrief time or, you know, we talk about how the mission went, mission success, mission failure. And we follow up, in other words, after that. So we're going to look at it in those three kind of stages, and I'm going to talk to you about the greatest mission. All right? So first off, let's go ahead and hit the next one. Daniel um, chapter 6 is where I will be today. I might go ahead and come down here. I'm a walker. I'm a talker, and I move around when I talk. They, did, they noticed that last night, so I'll just come down here and talk to you guys on, on this level. That's just how I am. So, okay. So Daniel chapter 6. There's some photos up here. Um, that I kind of want to show with you. You'll see these men gather on the lower right when you can, I put some words and stuff over that to block your vision, sorry about that. But that on the lower right, there's these men gathered in this circle. Now I often have this opportunity to stand in front of people and gather them around and teach them. And before you go on a military mission, before you go on a deployment, they prepare you in many ways. You'll go see a doctor and make sure you're healthy enough to go and deploy. You'll go see the psychiatrist, you'll go see the medical people, you'll go see legal to make sure your wills are, you know, updated. Those are really fun to update, right, when you're getting ready to deploy. Um, So, but here's one of the other things they do. They let the chaplain train them as well. And you think, 
What do you prepare the guys for before they're going to deploy? Well, I tell you what I like to prepare them for. It may not sound right to some people, but I like to prepare them to meet their maker. And people go, well, that sounds a little morbid. No, in all honesty, I want them to know that if you're going to go into combat, we don't go into that preparing that we will never have the chance of dying. You have to go into it preparing that, hey, bullets fly, bombs go off, things like that happen, planes crash, it, it, the accidents could even happen, right? So I want to prepare them properly. I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't prepare my men by not telling them about the great Lord and God I serve and his son, Jesus Christ. So many of these photos like this that you see me standing in front of them with my arms open, I always told my chaplain assistant who took most of these photos, I said, hey, take photos when I'm talking to him about Christ. And it seemed like I always did it that way. I don't know. And I thought, as I looked through all my photos, I thought, that's actually kind of a nice photo. Guess the way God is. He welcomes us with open arms like that. I may not use the notes on here, just so you know. I'm, I'm just going. But um, bottom line is, I, I love that. I love, I love to stand before him and prepare them for deployment. Now, Dan, Daniel was a lot like that. Um, if you read his story in, in chapter 6, just going off of what we all likely know about him, you'll see that once the decree was made by King Darius that nobody could pray to anybody except that king, guess what it says Daniel did? Right away, what did he do? Anybody know? He went and prayed. But you know what it also says in that passage? As he did before. So here's my key point about that. Daniel, Daniel was a man of preparation. And he prepared in a very powerful way. So... I love this story, and I often come back to it in many other facets of my life. When I came back from four months of training this last fall out in D.C., don't recommend that. I don't like D.C. as much. It's very traffic heavy. Um, but I was training out there for four months. I come back to my senior pastor position in Hawaii, and I told all our other chaplains in our congregation, I said, you know, I was reminded this fall, we need to be a church of prayer. I need to be a man that leads you all in prayer. And I stood before him, I said, so I want you to hold me accountable on this. Here's how we're going to do this. On Sunday mornings, before we meet for our service, I said, you will see me here early. I'm going to walk and I'm going to touch every pew, every seat. I'm going to walk up, I'm going to touch every instrument of those that are going to be playing. I'm going to touch the pulpit. And I'm going to pray over everybody that has a chance to do some ministry in our chapel. And I said, we are going to be a people of prayer. Why? Because, hey, if nothing else, I can tell you it worked for a man that got thrown in a lion's den. So let's prepare right for our mission. And so that's what I started doing. And let me tell you, there's probably no greater ministry you can be involved in today in a church like this than a ministry of prayer. How often do we really come before God and talk to him like that? Let me bring it to another point. See, in the military, we talk about commo, communication. And communication happens two ways. If it doesn't, we got a problem with the equipment. We'll figure that out. Or maybe we got some mountain in between, and we'll put up what they call a retrans, a retransmission site, to get the commo to work, right? But you've got to have commo. You've got to have communication. And since it happens two ways, I tell people so often, we'll do prayer one way, and we'll do it about once a week, maybe. Or we'll do it maybe less than that, where we're telling God about our problems, and we're just telling him problems. Lord, i got to have you helping with this. And that's how we prepare for our battle in the time we need him most, instead of all the time. If we talked once a week as military while we're out on a mission, that ain't going to cut it. Sir, I'm headed out. You know, we're going to head north and go encounter the enemy. I'll talk to you next month. No way would that ever work, right? 
it doesn't work for us either. Why do we think that would ever work? We got to talk to him. And then it's two-way communication. You don't hear from him if this thing, thing stays closed, right? I know you can't see this. It's camouflage, but it is a Bible. Um, <laughs> bottom line, if you keep this thing closed, you don't hear from him. It's two-way communication. We got to have that open. So the preparation for the mission for Daniel was prayer. And you're thinking, that's all? I mean, he was going to go fight a lion's den. Didn't he do like David and he'd go out and wrestle a bear and kill a lion with his bare hands? I mean, come on, right? That's what he did. No, I, I got to tell you. You read the whole thing and you, all you'll find out is Daniel prepared in prayer. I want to be a man of prayer. Don't you want to be a man or a woman of prayer? I want people to know that about me. That guy prays. I see him every Sunday coming in here and praying. That man prays. That lady comes to me every Sunday and asks me, can I pray for you about it? your family. I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. And I, I want to be that kind of person that prepares that way. Go ahead and hit the next slide. So here's another thing, though. Battle preparations. They're, I think what they do is, you've heard me say this, they get us physically, they get us mentally able, they train us on our weapons. But I like to be the one that does that third one. I like to help them get, get spiritually ready. And we can do that not only by introducing them to Christ, but you got people that do know Christ. So we can prepare them again, like teaching them about prayer, teach them about scriptures, we can get them ready to serve in maybe some chapel to impact other soldiers while they're in the heat of the battle. So we get them spiritually ready as well. Okay, next one. Um, there's great illustrations and examples of how people prepared for battle. As I told you about Daniel, uh, it's the second one there. Um, David also, I think this is really interesting. Right before the battle, the one we know so well for David himself was David and Goliath, right? Right before the battle, you see what he does. He basically, he calls out and says, who is this giant that basically mocks our Lord? He brings God into the mix. Nobody else had been doing that the whole time he's standing before all the Israelites. But David stands before and says, this man's standing before our Lord and Savior. I will go out to him in the name of the Lord. God's in everything David says about that battle before he even fights it. And I love that. Bringing God into it, we do that, we evoke him into our lives through prayer and through hearing from him through the word. Okay, so the next one is the current mission. Uh, what's going on in our lives, the fight that we're in the middle of, and I don't know what God's got going on in any of your lives, so I may hit on something today, and I, I hope that God will work in your life through these sort of things, but when I think about um, my time as a chaplain, I counsel so many soldiers that will come to me and they talk to me about financial problems. That's a big one. And I know that that really gets us, I feel like sometimes it gets us focusing on the things of this world. You can't serve both God and man. You can't pursue both, right? But at the same time, we got to have money to thrive, to survive, to get the things we need in life. So I understand that too. But God provides for all our needs too, right? So I know if I will ask him, he'll at least provide for those needs that I have. He provides for the flowers of the earth, for the birds of the air, how much more important are you in his life, right? So such a powerful thing to, to come to God for even those minute things we think of sometimes as finances. Yeah, it's actually important though. But then here's the one that I probably counsel the most, is I counsel soldiers about their relationships. You've probably heard the, the number out there, 22 soldiers a day commit suicide, they say. I could talk to you about the statistics and the truth behind some of that, but regardless of how true it is or not true, either way, um, we do have a lot of people that consider suicide. And you want to know the number one cause for why somebody in the military considers suicide? 
Broken relationships, exactly. So I counsel a lot about relationships. Now, people will come to me and they'll say, well, you know what? The hardest two years of your marriage, or the hardest years of your marriage, I said that backwards, is the first two years. That's what people will say. You get that first two years down, you're good to go. Well, let me change it for you for the military. The hardest first few years of the military marriage is about the first five to six. You know why? Because in about the first five or six years, you'll finally have about two years together. You catch that? Sad. What did I just finish? I finished four months away from my family because I had to go to training. It was just training, but the military required of me. I've been gone. I added it up a while back, and it, I almost am embarrassed to say it. I added up how many birthdays I've been gone for, how many anniversaries, how many important holidays in my life. And as I added it all up, I thought, man, my family has really kind of suffered being without me. Um, deployments pull us away for a long time. And then in those kind of times, the family's not just away from you, but they're worried for your life every day. They hear something on the news and they start to wonder, was my loved one in that, that battle, that fight or whatever? And they don't get to know very soon. So yes, about the first five to six years is about when they've had about two to three years together. That's sad. So I tell these people, they go, well, Chaplain, we've made it through the first two years. Shouldn't we start to see some improvement? Well, let me just bring you down to some reality. You're going to have to face probably some more st stress still before you'll really get into a good groove. So fight it out. Marriage is worth fighting for. It's worth working on. So I do a lot of marriage retreats. I do a lot of marriage counseling. And I love those things because I want to see these people stay together. There's nothing more powerful than knowing when you go away for a long period of time that you got loved one waiting for you and welcoming you with open arms. Some of the saddest things I've also seen on the flip side of it is when I've been stationed in a hospital, I've had these wounded vets that I minister to through Chappies Outdoors. I've had these wounded vets come back missing a leg or something and they're laying in bed. I, I saw this happen. It just broke my heart. As I'm standing over this man, counseling him, talking to him about his marriage, he goes, I haven't seen my wife yet. I just woke up. I'm hoping she'll get here today. He was like tracking. She was coming for the first day he woke up. She walks into the room. I happen to be there, looks at him. She goes, I can't do this, and walked out. And I was like, whoa, 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 I'll be right back. You know, and I ran down the hall. I said, look, you can't do this to him, not right now. You got to at least spend more than 10 seconds with him, please. And she goes, no, I'm not going to be a nurse. That's not what I, I signed up for. This marriage, I'm not, I'm not going to take care of the guy. He can find somebody else to do that. And that was it. Their marriage ended. I mean, wow. Devastating. Why, why would we not expect that that man would want to commit suicide after that, right? I mean, because he feels like he's got nothing left. Who's going to want to love him anymore when he's missing a leg and other important things? So it's, man... These guys face rough things like that, so I counsel a lot. And I know when I say these sort of things, I think, too, as, as a civilian pastor, I served as one prior to getting into the military, I often counseled many people in my congregation. We face the same things everywhere. You guys have the stresses of finances. You have the stresses of relationships. It can be with your spouse, or it could even be with parents, with siblings, or it can be your boss, your coworker that you're dealing with, right? And relationships can be straining. They can be stressful. And in the middle of these hard times in our life, we think, this is this tough fight that I'm in. You don't understand, chaplain, but I, I try to be there with them. And that's just it. You saw earlier how I like to ride with my guys and be with them while I was out there in combat with them. But, you know, that, that was, there was a point to that. Behind that, I was trying to get them to see another truth. Yeah, your chaplain will be with you as many times as he can be, but God will be with you always. 
in the midst of your current mission, if you never learn anything else from what Scripture shows and from what Daniel experienced in the lion's den, because the report afterwards showed it, he said, God shut the mouths of those lions. God sent his angel here with me. God is with us. I know there's a scripture that says, lo, I'm with you always. And that doesn't mean as a pilot he's not with you because you're high, you know, low. And it, bad joke, I know. It means he's with you always, though. It really does. And I, I, I cherish that. That's important. We pray that often. We say, Lord, be with us as we... And we say it almost like we say, hey, how you doing today? And we just go, fine, right? We say it like that. We, and our prayers include it. But I pray that often and I think... I've seen times that I want God with me. Let me give you a story, because I also love telling stories. The men that first deployed into Iraq and went into Baghdad, as they pushed into that, there's a story written about this, by a chaplain, a book called A Table in the Presence. Wonderful book, if you ever want to read it. Their military uh, convoy was pushing through an alleyway going into Baghdad, and they had not received gunfire at all. They were, by the way, back then they didn't have the hard-sided Humvees. Had the soft skin fabrics on the doors. Imagine that. I mean, that doesn't stop a bullet at all, right? They didn't have all the armor that they wear today either. So it was just, their chaplain had prayed and prayed. Man, I just pray we do not encounter as much gunfire as they're thinking we're going to encounter, pushing into the heart of the city of Baghdad. As they went down this one road, they still weren't receiving gunfire. And then all of a sudden, a couple RPGs hit near their vehicles. Nobody was hurt. They kept rolling. They pushed faster. Gunfire was hitting, but not hurting anybody. And then the chaplain kept praying, and all of a sudden they come by this one alleyway, and guy go, and they were hollering out through the radio, RPGs, plural, mind you, on the right, right? And he says that, well, as the chaplain gets up there with his vehicle, he looks down through the alleyway, and he sees a bunch of guys holding RPGs, pointing at their vehicle and going like this. They couldn't get them to work. I don't believe that's by accident. I mean, they're standing 15 feet away. They fire that thing, our guys are done. God will be with us if we ask him to be. God will protect us if we ask him to. Those guys learn to pray those kind of prayers over there. I think we ought to do the same even here in our own lives. God, I need your protection in my life from the things that are attacking me. God, I need you to be with me. I want to feel your very presence in what I do in my workplace, in what I do in my school, in what I do with my family. Ask for him to be a part of your current mission. Daniel did, we should as well. Go ahead and skip forward to the next one and the next one. So then, of course, there's the debrief. There's the final part, the out, outtake, so to say, right? There's after we finish the mission, we start to do a recap. We tell them what we learned, and we, we do this often, right? I think this is where we talk about our testimony really well as Christians. And we tell you, this is what I experienced. You can experience too. I went through it this way. I got through it this way. I, I tell you, God does not put us through the things that we endure in life for no reason at all. As a matter of fact, the things he puts us through many times will be so that you, when you encounter someone else going through the same thing, can say, God spoke to me during a time like that in my life. Let me share with you how God got me through. And that's powerful stuff. So when King, King Darius comes to Daniel that next morning, it says in the scriptures that he, the man that had made the decree in chapter 6, prayed all night. He didn't enter, get enter, any entertainment like the kings usually did back then. He didn't get any food. He fasted. The man basically said, I will go before Daniel's Lord and try to ask that 
he will protect Daniel. Because it also says, right as he left him in there, he says, I pray you, the Lord, your God, that you serve will protect you. He comes back the next morning. What's he cry out to Daniel in that lion's den? He cries out nothing more than, Daniel, servant of the most, hit, you know, most high living God, has your Lord been able to save you? I mean, everything was about the God that Daniel served. But the debrief is, Daniel calls back out, yes, send his angel to protect me, shut the mouths of the lions. What an awesome story, right? I think when we come to the end of the testimonies in our life, we need to remember the one thing. Daniel didn't say and call out, yes, king, I'm so awesome. I defeated those lions. I kicked them in the nose, you know, or whatever. It wasn't about what Daniel did. Did you notice that? I mean, he could have. I mean, has anybody else ever survived something like this? Aren't I awesome? You know, the arf, 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 man thing, right? That's what he probably could have done. And guys would have said, oh, what an amazing Daniel and bow down to. I don't know. But instead, he gave the credit where it should have been given. We need never forget that about our testimonies. If the testimony talks about us, then it's focused the wrong direction. So I'm going to shift into telling you my testimony. And hopefully I'll do it right. Now that I've preached about it, you better do it right, right? So I, uh, I went to Kansas State University when I was young. Why did I go there? I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My two uh, parents, one, well, they both liked drugs. One had them, the other one didn't, so that's how they met. Um, so I came from that kind of a background. I was a little bit of a hard partying kind of a guy in high school. So when I chose to go to Kansas State University, leave the farm and head up, up there, I, uh, I went there because I heard that was a really good party in school. I thought, man, I can party, get away from the family, do whatever I want in life. That's why I went there. But here's what's funny. So I'm filling out the form for Kansas State University. Silly me. I didn't know this. The very last question on the very last page said your religious preference. So I thought you had to answer the question. Most people didn't answer it. Out of, I don't know how many thousand applicants they get every year, eight people answer the question. I thought you had to answer it, so I thought, well, what am I? I don't know what I am. Christian. So I put that down. And so eight guys answered the question, Christian. You know what they did? They roomed us all together on one floor, made us roommates. <laughs> I know you're laughing, but it really happened this way. And so I'm roomed with seven guys that are actually really Christians, grew up in a Christian home, and love to really give the fire of Jesus to people around them. While I'm like, hey, you guys want to go out and party? Who? I thought you were a Christian, you know? I got to explain myself every time I want to do anything to these guys, right? But um, so these guys tried to get me to go to church. I'm like, no, you know, that's Sunday morning. You're usually hung over then. What are you doing that for? Um, so then I, I actually was really good at sports. And this one guy thought he could beat me at racquetball. So I decided to show him another thing. And I took him out playing racquetball. He was my roommate. And so we go and we're playing racquetball. Man, I'm, I'm kicking his, you know, I'm just beating him down. I must have scored 10 more points than him every game. And so as I'm beating him on this third game really bad, I mean, it's getting worse. He must be getting tired, I guess. I, I hit this really good kill shot. And as I did, he lets out this expletive, you know, a curse word. And he just lets it out. I looked at him like, I thought he was a Christian, right? And so I thought, well, I'll keep beating him, you know. So I... Smack a few more shots. I got another really good kill shot. He cursed again. I thought, golly. Hit a few more and he cursed again. I thought, man, what's going on with this? So we get back home to our dorm room. And uh, as we're sitting there, he goes, look, man, I got to apologize. 
He goes, the side of me came out tonight. I really shouldn't have said all those things. But we sin. We do, we do wrong in our lives. So he started explaining how it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you do wrong. And he started showing me this humble side of him. I was like, that's, wow. And he taught me about sin. And so that night, in teaching me about sin, I recognized I had sin. And he introduced me to the answer to sin, which was Jesus Christ. And so I prayed and received Christ as my Savior in that dorm room with that man by beating him in racquetball, you know, and hearing him curse. Pretty interesting the way that happened. But then I start going to church. I went to a church and started doing Awanas as their commander of the whole program. I did youth ministry, youth pastoring. Uh, so I did that for a while, led their worship. And then I became the associate pastor, surrendered to full-time ministry. I'm going through it. I know that sounds fast, but... I surrendered full-time ministry, went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. We talked about that because there's a little difference there. But I'm um, same group, share that in common. Um, so I went to Baptist Bible College. Then I uh, pastored a church out in Aurora, Missouri for a while as their senior pastor. And after I did that for a while, then I joined the military and became an Army chaplain in 2005. So that's, how I, that's that part of the testimony. The part I want to get to, though, is this. When I deployed to Iraq, you saw that I served with those guys. I was there for... I think seven, eight months when they came in and the, the colonel came to me and he goes, chaplain, he goes, uh, I'm gonna need, you need to know this first. We're going to be telling the men that we've been extended. Our deployment's going from 12 months to 15. They're not going to like that. And so you need to know first because you're probably going to get a lot of counseling because of this. I said, you're right. A lot of people aren't going to like us. I said, so I'm glad you told me. So I got ready. But at the same time, I'm the one that's also thinking, I don't like this either, you know. Uh, so... Um, yeah, we, we were extended. At month 13, I'd been out with some Special Forces guys. And it, it, I don't want to explain a lot of this because I'd take up too much of your time, but I had a specific unit. But there were several units on this FOB, that stands for Forward Operating Base. There were several units on this that did not have a chaplain. And so I went to the colonel and I'm like, I need to serve with these guys. They don't have a chaplain. They need to hear about God in the midst of this, this fight that we're in. And he would tell me, he'd go, you know what, chaplain, you're right. I really want you serving with our guys, but help those guys out. So special forces guys are walking by this building one day that had this really high, you know, fence structure and looked like secret service type stuff. They didn't want anybody in there. And I, I walked by one day and this guy opens up this door. I'd never seen it open. He runs out and he's like, hey, chaplain, we need you. I was like, that's right, you do, you know. But I was like, uh, yeah, what do you need? And he goes, well, we, we lost a guy, and we need somebody to do a memorial. And I was like, oh, man, my heart sunk for him. I said, who are you guys? And they, well, we're fifth group, special forces, and we don't have a chaplain. We need you. And I was like, I've been trying to find you guys. So I did a memorial for him. Through that, I started working with them regularly. By the way, went out with them on a mission one time. I never did that again. Those guys, you go with them, they are nuts. They're crazy. Um, but what they did do, they thought was kind of fun, is when they'd find these caches of weapons, they always had to destroy them by taking them into a remote area, pile them all up, put all this TNT and, and C4 and stuff around it, and then they'd, you know, ignite it and blow a crater in the earth and get rid of the weapons that they'd found. But they always liked to call me for this. They're like, Chaplain, you want to go blow up a part of the earth? I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. Uh, they also got me on that, by the way. I, I know I'm telling funny stories here, but this is all right. So what they did to me is they got this little thing, you pull the little lever on, and it's got a cord, and it's a five-minute fuse, okay? I'm telling you that. I didn't know that. So here's what they do. They hand it to me. First time I ever run one of these, they go, we'll let you ignite it this time, okay? And then they hand it to me, and they ran. And they took off running, they ducked behind something. I'm, like, standing out there with this thing going, I'm standing next to enough C4 to, you know, blow up, you know, Kansas or whatever. And I'm, like, 
looking at all these guys, when you just ran, look, they really don't like your chaplain, you know? So I was like, do I just pull it? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. You know, I'm like, you guys are killing me. And so I pull that thing and I ran and I dove over the top of them and they're all standing there going, ha, 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 gotcha. I said, what? And they go, we got another four minutes and 45 seconds. That was fun, let's go. So yeah, they used to always play around with me. But we went one day and we ignited this stuff that we found like that near a bunker. And the bunker, when we did that, blew up part of it. We ignited something secondary. Didn't realize it had happened this way. And this kind of green colored cloud come out. That's usually not a good sign. Uh, we'd actually found some mass biological weapons that they said didn't exist when we went into Iraq. Um, and you can't hear about those things unless you know special forces guys. We ignited that cloud that day. And that cloud stunk, smelled weird. We all figured we probably ought to say something to somebody, but we couldn't. Secret mission, right? So there's four of us total, three special forces guys, one chaplain, me. And less than a month later, all four of us was medevaced out of Iraq, sent to hospitals. I had a lump that grew off the front side of my chest right here, just suddenly in less than a month. And it got to be larger than a, like a cantaloupe. It was huge. Couldn't put my arm down to the side because it was so huge. So they medevaced me out. They did a little look at it, and they said, you got a cancer. you got a tumor that's growing under the skin. It was a form of melanoma. You think of melanomas on the skin. This was internal. And it was a rare form. They'd only seen, like, I think less than a dozen cases worldwide ever. So it was in the right chest area and up into the neck and into the head for me. Um, the funny thing is, those other three guys that were medevaced had a large lump, internal melanoma, same form, all in this area and this area. Of those four of us that were medevaced, three of them, by the way, they got their purple hearts for that. I, I refused mine. Um, because it was considered enemy weaponry, and I didn't think, it, we didn't bleed from, well, unless you count the surgeries, right? Um, we didn't really get attacked, I felt, we, it was kind of self-imposed, we blew the whole thing up, right? Uh, so, I, d I refused mine, and, and I know what happened was, in the end, I, I've got a little bit of a problem claiming it now, you know, on my record, so I'm going to have to fight that someday when I get out, but I go to this hospital, and I fought to get to, uh, Johns Hopkins to treat my cancer, because it was spreading. Three surgeries later from Johns Hopkins and chemo and radiation for a year and a half, and I was cancer-free. But of the four of us, the other three didn't fight. They stayed in the military's medical care, and they never got the care they needed. I went outside of it to Johns Hopkins. I forced the military to pay that for me. Those three men didn't make it. Uh, so all four of us came back with the same cancer. Three didn't make it. So I'm blessed to be here with you guys because of that today. So that's my testimony that I say about me. Let me conclude it, though, by doing it right and telling you how awesome God is in this sort of stuff. You see, I carry this Bible for a reason, so I'm glad we brought this up when I was showing it. Not just because I love hunting and stuff, but this was a Bible I had with me when I was receiving chemo. So I was laid up in, in a bed, in a hospital bed, receiving chemo, and I would read this. And as I'd be reading through it, I would constantly do this. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'd look to God and I'd say, you really screwed up here. I was serving you in some of the greatest ministry, you saw it, that I've ever experienced in my life. And you took me away from that. Why'd you do that? And I was honest with God. I, I don't think you made the right choice here. This is, I'm, what am I doing now? I'm just dying, basically, is what I, I never was told I was going to be completely healed at that point. So I thought, you know, you made a mistake, God. And I was arguing with him at, at that time. 
Until one day I'm laying there in the hospital bed and this nurse comes up with this older gentleman, probably in his 70s, he comes walking up with her and she's pointing down the way towards me laying in this bed. And I'm a grumpy guy at this point. I'm going to be honest with you about that. And so she's pointing at me like this and really emphatic towards him and he's like, <clears throat> and he walks out of the room. Comes back again, she's like pointing at me again. I'm thinking, why don't they just leave me alone? It is what I'm thinking. Don't involve me in whatever you got going on. I wasn't in a good mood. But he, he does this about two times. Third time, she finally really gets him and pulls him a little bit. And he comes walking over to me, looks over my bedside, and he goes, Hey, tell me you're an army chaplain. <sighs> yeah. That's kind of the way I looked at it. Yeah, I am. And so he looks at me and he goes, Well, all right then. I don't know why that was so convincing. I tried to be as unconvincing as possible. But he looks at me and he goes, all right then. He looks to her and he goes, if I can take my treatments in the bed right next to him, same time, then I'll do it. And I thought, oh, crud, now I got a companion to worry about. <laughs> so this guy, um, this guy took treatments with me for the next month. And every day that I took him, he was there. And what was amazing was... Uh, what was amazing was this man, I believe God sent into my life for me too, as much as I was there for his life. Man, I didn't think it was going to. Um, his name's Gary Green. Gary was told he had less than a few weeks to live. And his wife was like, you've got to fight. You've got a daughter that's going to get married soon. You've got a grandchild on the way from your other daughter. You've got all these reasons to fight just a little bit longer. She wanted him to fight. We need to work on our marriage, she would tell him. You need to be prepared for meeting God, and you're not. She knew that. She was a solid Christian woman. So when she heard there was a chaplain receiving that, she was trying to get him to go and sit next to me. The guy had never told his stories of his three-year tour in Vietnam, of his silver star, and it doesn't even tell it in his obituary that I keep here in this Bible with me to remind me that God's not done with me. Because God sent Gary Green into my life to remind me that I don't care if I've got you in a hospital bed receiving liquid poison into your veins, I can still use you, Jeremiah. That's the God I serve. So there I was, laying in a hospital bed receiving chemo, and I introduced a man to Christ. I keep his obituary here. I keep the, the card where he wrote his phone number and stuff for me to contact him. I never want to forget that God is not done with me. You see, I want to encourage you that same way though I don't care how old you are I don't care how young you are God is not done with any of us will you just for a moment imagine with me if every one of us will be sold out I needed that in my life for somebody to come into me and show me God I can still I can still use you Jeremiah I don't care how broken the vessel is when God grabs a hold of it it becomes whole and useful again and that's what he wants to do with every one of you would you just imagine for me for a moment what this church could do for God. If every one of us say, I'm able to be used. When I go to the store in Albany, I'm able to be used by you, God. Show me how you're going to use me today in this. When I go to my workplace, I'm able to be used. God, show me what you want to use me for today where I work at. God, I'm, I'm able to be used by you where I go to school at. I'm able to be used by you in my family, in my marriage. If you'll do that with me, I guarantee you God will use you. Let's pray that God will bring those Gary Greens in our life to remind us of how much he can do and still use us to accomplish. Will you allow me to pray for you? Oh, God, our Father, 
Indeed, it's so awesome to be able to be a part of your calling and the ways in which you use us in life. Because, Lord, there's no greater thing that we can ever be a part of than to see your son take hold of a life and change it. Lord, I want to be a part of that. I don't ever want to stop being a part of that. So, Lord, use me. And I, I say this first because, Lord, this is as much about you as it should be anything, not just about some man that has a cool-sounding testimony about you know, time in Iraq or whatever. Yes, I'm thankful for that because why? Lord, it points to you and how you show all of us, hopefully here today, we all see this. Yeah, I may be a broken vessel. I may be too old maybe to get around as, as well as I used to in the woods and take out the veterans like you do, Chappie, but I got another way I can do this. Maybe too young. I haven't experienced all the things you have, Chappie. I, I don't know all the scriptures you know. I don't have the, the, the great clarity of thought and ways to speak to people, but maybe in my school I can pray for my, my fellow students. You know what? There's, there's ways in which God's ready and willing, so ready and willing to encourage and use you today. Will you let him use you? I pray you will. Surrender your all to him. Say, I want to serve you today. Give him your full heart and pray, God, send me somebody like a Gary Green in my life. Show me, encourage me, and help me to see those times when you're victorious in using me. And I pray we'll all come back from this with a great testimony of how awesome God is and how great he is in using this church, these people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.